Amen. So we're in a series on preaching. This is number two. And before I jump into our text this morning, which is Romans chapter 10, I wanted to um, say this. All the doctrines and all the biblical truths in the Bible are interconnected with one another. Now, we may not be able to see the connections, but they are all interconnected. If you were um, to describe the Bible, it would be the kind of sweater, and some of y'all can help me with this, but the kind of sweater that if you get one string and pull it, eventually you would unravel the entire sweater. What is that? Crochet. Crochet? So there are some sweaters that if you pull it, it just pulls that one string out. No, this is the Bible is from the mind of God. If you pull in any verse, you can pull the whole Bible with it. And that's true of preaching. Like this class on preaching is not a class on rhetoric. It's not a class on good communication skills. You know, we want all of those things, but this is a class on preaching. And preaching is a biblical doctrine. It is a biblical truth, and it is connected to everything. It's connected to the gospel. It's connected to your salvation. It's, in fact, a part of the gospel, right? So, of course, it's not the core of the Bible or the core of the gospel, which is Christ crucified, but it's connected, right? It's preaching and the doctrine of preaching is not tacked on, you know, to, to Christianity. It's not an addition. It's not an option. It's not something we do because of tradition, it's not a deduction that we have, you know, based on these things in the Bible, therefore we deduce that somebody should probably do this. It's not a deduction. It's a necessary part of your salvation. Right? Now, remember, when I say salvation, I'm assuming you understand all the various nuances of that word. You're not saved by grace through preaching, but it is a necessary part of your salvation, as you're going to come to see. This is how the uh, Westminster Divines, the, that's a nickname for theologians, the Westminster Theologians summarized it this way. They summarized the connection between preaching and salvation and the rest of the Bible this way. They asked this question, what must I do to escape the wrath of God? All right. Now, what would be your answer? Repent. Repent towards God, repentance towards God, having violated his law. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who makes atonement for you. But is that it? And they say, and this is very true, make diligent use of the means of grace whereby God communicates what has been accomplished on the cross to you in your life. And do that for the rest of your life. And you will escape the wrath of God. Right? That's a lot to unpack there. And, and you know, this is why we have a whole series on it. <clears throat> but to escape the wrath of God, real clear, repentance towards God, faith alone towards our Lord Jesus Christ, and the diligent use of the ordinary and outward means of grace. So if they're right, and they most certainly are, if you are to say, and none of you are to say this, but people say this, I have a relationship with God, I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. I don't need preaching. I don't need somebody telling me what to do. I don't need the sacraments. I don't need prayer. I don't need church prayer meetings. I don't need fellowship. I don't mean all of those things. Then they should, and this is a sobering thing to think, they should not expect to escape the wrath of God. Because to escape the wrath of God requires repentance, faith, and the diligent use of the means of grace, whereby God communicates to you the grace he's purchased. So, just as a quick example... Faith comes by hearing, 
and hearing of the word of God. If you don't hear, no faith. See, that's just one example, right? How can they hear, right? How can they believe on him in whom they have not heard? Heard who? No, listen. How can they believe on him of whom they haven't heard? You can't believe on Jesus unless you hear Jesus, hear his voice, hear his word. But how can they hear without a preacher? How can they hear Jesus' voice without a preacher? And how can there be a preacher unless one is sent, which is a commissioning by Jesus? You see, it is an essential part of your salvation. It's directly connected to all the various other doctrines of Scripture. You are not saved ordinarily, okay? Ordinarily. John the Baptist seems like a different scenario. But ordinarily, you're not saved without a preacher. That's right. And there's no preacher unless one is sent. So remember, last week we talked about the fact that our nation is in a famine of the word. And we looked at Amos about that. But if we are in a famine of the word, then that means by deduction that we are in a famine of grace. Yeah. And we certainly are. All right. (laughs) So... What are the other means that God uses to communicate the benefits of redemption? Has he purchased your sanctification on the cross? Yes. But how does he communicate that to you, your sanctification, during your life? Well, through preaching. What else? Through fellowship, through worship, through the sacraments, and through everything the Bible tells us to do. <laughs> through everything the Bible tells us to do, but especially word, prayer, preaching, fellowship, etc. Make sense? Any questions before I go on? Does that make sense? Some of you are not sure. It makes sense, Tim? Okay. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter one, verse 18. Let's look at it real quick. This is in the KJV. You got it for me, Kevin? 1 Corinthians 1.18, notice here, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. What is the power of God? What does it say? The preaching of the cross is the power of God, right? Obviously, preaching doesn't save you, but there's a connection here. And the way theologians over the years have explained this connection is that God uses the preaching of the word by the spirit to communicate to you his power. Okay, you'll have to rewind that one and think about it a little bit more. But as important, and this is what the Westminster Divine said, as important as personal Bible reading is, it's especially important to receive the preaching of the cross. The ESV, I think, translates it the message of the cross, right? All right. So is the word of God being preached automatically good for you? Yes or no? No. There must be grace. There must be faith. There must be the Holy Spirit. But it is one of the ordinary and outward means that God uses to save and to sanctify. All right. So that's just a little intro. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And we'll see some of this, these themes in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? We all believe that. 
how then will they call on, who's the him there? Jesus, in whom, who's the whom? Jesus, they have, that's the people, never heard, right? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Who, are the, who is the they? Who's the they? It's the preachers, right? Exactly, it's the preachers. Now this word right here in Romans chapter 10 verse 13 is a word used three times in the New Testament. We're going to look at each one, okay? So we have these sent, these they who are sent that preach, Okay? But now let's look at a few other passages. 2 Timothy 2, 7. Notice what Paul says. For this I was an appointed a preacher and an apostle. Is Paul an apostle? Yes. But what else is he? He's a preacher. Right? It's a distinct calling. That's right. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Another calling. All right? But notice that that is one of the three times that this word preacher is mentioned in the New Testament. Right. Let's look at another one. 2 Timothy 1.11. For which I was appointed a preacher. And then he gives, gives other offices. Right. Is a preacher an apostle? No. Is an apostle a preacher? Pro- yeah, as far as I can tell, yeah. But it's not the same thing. Okay, It's a different office. Right. And then 2 Peter 2, 5, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald, that's the word, a preacher of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. What was Noah? Noah was a preacher, which we all know. All right. Now, why am I saying all this? Because I want you to understand uh, the, the part that preaching plays in your life. And I want you to understand, you know, my calling. And I, I want to understand it as better as well. But this is not, this word preacher is not referring to Christians in general. It's referring to a particular calling, a particular person, all right, or persons. It refers to an official divinely appointed spokesman for God, all right? Now, are all Christians supposed to evangelize? Yes, but the preacher is not just the guy who's really good at it. You understand what I mean? He's not just the guy who has the most experience with it. Right? He's not just the guy who is wordy or is rhetorically gifted or has a personality. It is a particular calling, and he has to be sent. Okay? Let's look at verse 14. I already mentioned this, but this is how God makes his voice heard. This is how he makes his voice heard. Isaiah 61 is an example The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Now, I'm not saying that a preacher is a prophet. There's some overlap, but a preacher is not a prophet. Isaiah was an inspired prophet who wrote Scripture. He is like Paul. He's both a prophet in that sense, but he's also a preacher because the Lord has anointed him. He has set him apart or consecrated him for a particular purpose, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now, but here's the thing. If God speaks through preachers and his word goes forth through preachers, how powerful is that word? 
Paul says it's the power of God unto salvation. That's right. But if here, if God preaches through the preachers this message, good news to the poor, then guess what the poor get? They get good news. That's right. If he preaches to bind up the brokenhearted, what do the brokenhearted get through that? They get get bound up. The captives are liberated. The prison is opened up. God does those things. He does those things through his word, through the preaching of his word. Not only, not exclusively, but that is one of the means that he uses to do these things. Right? So if you don't hear Christ, you won't believe, you won't be sanctified, you won't be saved. And one of the primary means that God uses to have you hear Christ is the preaching of the word. Now let's move on. Let's look at verse 15. Look at verse 15 in our text, Romans 10, 15. You can see here that this particular person is sent. They must be sent. That's a a, a word that connotes um, a unique calling and a unique role, for example. Right? They must be sent. So all of us are called to evangelize but not all of us are preachers, right? Right. When the Christians were scattered in Antioch, are y'all familiar with that passage in the book of Acts? They were persecuted and they went about, do y'all know what they did? They went about preaching the word. If you, if you look up the Greek, that's the word euangelion. They went about evangelizing. But then when you learn about Philip, who goes to Samaria and preaches the gospel, it is kerugzo. It is that particular word. It's, a, it's different than evangelism. Evangelism and preaching, not the same thing. Preachers evangelize, but not all evangelization is preaching. So Philip is an example of a preacher. He's one of the preachers in the Bible, but all the saints aren't preachers. And I know that some of you are probably happy about that, right? And some people need to be reminded of that. You know, they, they might have a job to do during the day. They don't have to be a preacher. And you don't want to be a preacher if you're not one, right? So, <clears throat> all right. Am I making sense? Are y'all tracking with me? Yes, sir? I think what you're saying is that some people believe they're called, but they're not. Yeah. Not just some people, Brother Henry, a lot of people. (laughs) That's right. So Jesus sends them. Who can remember the illustration, or not the illustration, but the, well, I guess Jesus was making an illustration. He looked out on the fields and he told his disciples that they're white unto harvest. And remember what he told them to pray for? Pray that God would do what? Send workers out into the harvest. Now, why would they need to pray to Jesus for that? Well, it's because only Jesus can send preachers. Only Jesus can call them, all right? They don't call themselves. Other humans don't call them, though other humans confirm that calling. Um, But it is Jesus who has to send them. In In a famine of the word, as we were talking about last week, what's not happening? Jesus isn't sending them. But also, I bet the people aren't praying for them to be sent because the people don't want to hear it. That's what happens in a famine of the word. The people don't want to hear it, 
and so God stops sending it, and things degenerate. Now, to whom is a preacher sent? A preacher is sent to preach to the church, but also in all of our various examples in scripture, the preacher is sent to preach to the world. That's right. He, he doesn't have just an, a, an ecclesiastical calling. He has a kingdom calling for the whole world, right? <clears throat> Look at us, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and this will bring us to our next question. Is this preacher's being sent just a, just a thing back in the first century church? Is it just a New Testament thing and not today? But look at 2 Timothy 2, 2. For this I was appointed a preacher. No, this is 2, 7. I need 2, 2. So Paul was a preacher and an apostle, but is he the last one? Is there any secession plan for this in history? He says, for kings, ah, we're not in the right place. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2. and hopefully that one's right. Oh, there you go. And you, Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will also be able to teach others also. So we have here a good example of how Paul wasn't the last preacher, right? Now, I don't think there are apostles like what we think of the word apostle in the New Testament. I believe the apostles were what we think of as a prophet in the Old Testament. They wrote scripture. They had the divine inspiration of God. So that's a separate gift, a separate calling, obviously. But Paul also was a preacher, and he's not the last of them. He will commission Timothy, and you can see him commissioning Timothy to preach. You know all the other verses to Timothy. Preach the word, be in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, correct. God reproves, rebukes, and corrects through Timothy's preaching of the Bible, right? But here he's saying to Timothy, what I've entrusted to you, and what has he entrusted to him? The gospel, right? The message of the gospel, the Bible. You now are to entrust to faithful men who will carry on this legacy into the future. And you can even see in 2 Timothy 4, 1, you can see Timothy's ordination service. 2 Timothy 4, 1. There he is. I charge you. This is Paul charging him in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the, to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom to preach the word. So Timothy is not just a really educated, eloquent Christian, right? He is uniquely called, not only by Jesus, but through the apostle Paul, and ordained and commissioned to this particular task, right? And just, let's just riff off of this a little bit. What if Timothy is like, I don't really feel like it? Will he get a special beating? That's right. In fact, you're going to see in a second that preachers are called slaves, right? Um, slaves to the word, slaves to God, all right? Um, what, if, uh, what if there are people who want to preach, as Brother Henry was saying, but they're not called to preach, and, and, um, and they're running around as though they are. Will there be a special judgment for them? Yeah, I think so. In fact, James tells us, he says, be not many teachers, for they, re- they receive a greater judgment. And you really, I think we really need to be careful about that in the age where everyone has a voice and a platform. You know, like back in the day, back in the 80s, I mean, you could have opinions, but nobody would know about them, right? You never had a microphone. You never had a platform. Now, everybody's got a huge microphone, and it's always there, just ready for them to share, right? 
So I just think as Christians, you've got to remember that before you go on that mic, remember, you're taking on something that is, you know, serious. It's serious. I'm sobering. All right. <clears throat> All right, now let's move on a little bit more and understand this. Or am I really just describing the office of an elder? Am I just describing the office of an elder? Well, let's see. It's a 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through 18. And I need y'all to ask me more questions. Uh, like you are oddly quiet this morning, and I'm so I feel insecure. All right. So I need y'all to participate or push back or something or ask questions. But, but look at this, because we, we still got time, and I'm almost done. So we need to ask, ask some questions. But notice what he says. Let the elders who rule well. So what does one thing elders do? They rule. I think another translation would say uh, uh, oversee. Oversee, that's another way of putting it. They rule well, be considered worthy of double honor. Right? Amen. But then it says, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. You see the distinction. Right? You know, some preachers are elders, and they must, be, they must preach in order to be faithful. But not every, not every elder has to preach to be faithful. Some can just rule. Does that make sense? This is why in some churches you have preaching elders and you have ruling elders. Though it's not a necessarily a fine line. A ruling elder could uh, give a sermon here and there where necessary. But he would be, I think if he's a godly man, he might be conscious of the fact that this is not my calling in life. You know, I'm just letting the guy have a vacation. Right? Um, but notice what, and well, and this goes into other things we don't need to talk about now, but I just wanted to show you there's a distinction of elders within a church. Some are to preach and some are to rule. Now, all elders must be apt to teach. That's one of the qualifications. So how do we reconcile all of that? That's not the same thing as being a called preacher. The kind of person who, if they refuse, gets a special beating, right? <laughs> the person who gets a special judgment, in the next life. You understand what I mean? That's not exactly the same thing. Now, at any particular point in time, God could call you to be a preacher. That happened to Philip. What was Philip first? Does anyone remember? He was a deacon. That's right. He proved himself uh, administrating um, various things within the church. And I really do think the deacon office should be a preliminary office to the office of elder. Now, I can't, um, I can't 100% say that just yet, but I think that is the case, that you see that happening in Scripture, that the deacons become elders later, right? But Philip is a deacon, but then later he's called to preach, and he's sent to Samaria, and he preaches, and the Word of God comes down with power, and the Samaritans have a huge revival. So he was, a, he was being faithful in the little things, and then God gave him this, this other task, right? Any questions, thoughts? Stephen as well, that's right. Deacon and then later a preacher. And then um, a, the ultimate calling, a martyr. That's right. Um, 1 Timothy 2.7. This particular calling or this particular person, persons, has a particular uh, ministry. All right. Am I in the right place? 1 Timothy 2.7. For this I was appointed a preacher. Right? That's not, what I'm, that's not the verse I'm looking for. Go, let's go to 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. All right. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. 
So Paul, referring to himself and Timothy, notice the word there, servant. It should be translated slave. It's doulos. It means slave, bond slave. Um, But that's what a preacher is. He's a slave to Christ. You see that? What else is he? He's a steward. What does that mean? It means he's a bond slave in the household of the Lord. He works in God's house, and he has a special stewardship. And what is he to steward? The mysteries of God. Right? Now, that's a, that is a difficult expression. But when the Bible speaks of a mystery, it's not speaking of something that is perpetually and forever hidden. It's not like a Harry Potter mystery or an Agatha Christie mystery. It is essentially the truths of the gospel that are hidden from the proud and the mighty and the wicked, but that must be revealed. I think that's probably a good way to sum it up. But how are they revealed? It's through the stewards being faithful. That's right. Moreover, it is required of a steward that they be found faithful. If you want a preacher, and I know this is an awkward class because I'm talking about myself to some extent, um, but I've never done a class on preaching before, and I, and I needed it, and I, and I thought we, we could all use it. But for, for, for you, I must be faithful. And if, if I'm not faithful, or if preachers in general, just to take it off of me for a second, but preachers anywhere, if they're not faithful to the mysteries of God, to, to preach them and to, um, to utter them, then those things will not be revealed to those people until he is judged and they find a different preacher, right? Because God can work through all sorts of people. Does that make sense? All right. <clears throat> um, yeah, that's it. Any questions, any thoughts? Let's talk about this. Come on, Jordan, you're paid to uh, ask this question. No, no. <laughs> this is a, okay. So, uh, can a person just go to, sem- can I just go to seminary and become a preacher? Uh, le- you could get a paycheck, for sure. <laughs> yeah. The people would love you. I mean, you got a personality, you know, you got the hair, um, <laughs> You just got a little Greek under your belt, and then you, you got a job. And unfortunately, one of the negatives of seminaries is that they're pumping out people that are not called. And we know that to be true, I think, in part because of the, the quitting ratio. I mean, the number of preachers who quit and go deliver pizzas and leave that calling is staggering. It's staggering. There's a difference between finding a slot in an organization or finding a ladder to climb corporately in a denomination and being called. There's a difference. Yes, sir. I don't believe the diploma says a preacher on it. I think you get a degree from a, from a seminary, but it doesn't say preacher on the diploma. That's true. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying, there's not, seminaries aren't there, say, aren't out there saying, if you graduate from us, you're a preacher. They don't believe that. It's just the system has become where churches, they're looking for a preacher, they're going to the seminary. And the seminary kind of has the exclusive um, rights, traditionally, of creating the preachers. But a preacher can come from the sheep herd, like Amos, or the preacher can come from the halls of academia, like Paul. Um, God can call a preacher from anywhere. 
And um, it's, it's good to have training and education if it's good training and education, for sure. And there's plenty of reasons to go to seminary other than to be a preacher. You might want to be an academic, which is a lot of what they do. You, you, well, we're, this is, I got a whole series to do on it, but this is a great question. A great question. It can only be identified and confirmed by others, right? By elders, by leader, other pastors and preachers, and it is usually noticed and recognized over a period of time and testing. I think that's probably a way to say it. Um, and I would say that the particular preacher becomes more conscious of his calling as time goes by. At first, he is not so sure what in the heck he's doing, but he becomes conscious of that calling after examining a long season of his life and and seeing how God has used him and worked him. And then he might try to quit sometimes, and then God's like, don't you dare. And he's like, okay, well, you know. (laughs) No, but it has to be confirmed. It's It's a terrible, terrible thing when there's just some lone ranger egomaniac who wants to just boss around some people in the church and, um, and no one has confirmed his calling. You know, no one's following him. Back in an officer school, they used to say, if you're a, a leader with no followers, you're just a guy out for a walk, right? <laughs> and so there, it, it, gets, it must be confirmed. And that's why you see ordination services. And has anyone here ever been to an ordination service? Right, like Timothy is, Timothy has the apostle Paul. So although there were other people in Timothy's life, you, if you get one apostle, you're good. Like, that's all you need. But, but now you get, like, basically you'll get a whole collection of preachers, of called men who are, are wise and aged. You'll get some ruling elders. You'll have all of these people. They'll come around. They'll ask questions. They'll examine. They'll look to make sure all the qualifications are there. They'll look to see, is there an opportunity? Is there a need? All of these various things. And they would, they would confer that calling. Um, they would confirm that calling, saying, we recognize a calling here. We believe that he is called, and then they would commission them. So that's why you have those particular uh, ordination services in churches. Um, Seminary doesn't ordain, by the way. The church does. Um, Yes, ma'am. And he has a what? Well, whether, whether or not someone is following you or not is not necessarily an indicator of whether or not you're called. We have quite a few people in the Bible who are called to preach and God literally tells them and no one's going to listen to you, um, which that's a bummer, right? Um, <laughs> that, was, that was Amos' calling. Isaiah was called to preach naked, so he didn't have a lot of followers, um, <laughs> Ezekiel was called to preach while cooking over human feces. He asked God to downgrade that to, to something else, and God said, okay, you can do it over cow manure. Um, so Ezekiel didn't have a lot of fans, didn't get a lot of likes. So whether or not you have followers is not necessarily an indicator. Um, and, and even if you have a lot of followers, that's not necessarily an indicator. So a lot, you know, the false prophets in Scripture are the ones who had the biggest crowds. I mean, both, both are committing the sin of revolution. They're, they're declaring that they speak for God, um, though they don't. And um, that's a huge sin. That's a, a massive sin. And so whether or not they revolt well 
and are able to tune their message to the spirit of the age and get a big following, or whether they revolt not so well and nobody wants to listen to them. Like they might pick up on old-fashioned techniques and then people are irked by it. That's so, but revolution is revolution no matter what. Um, Good, good questions. What do y'all think about this right here? Is this too far? Do y'all understand this? What must one do to escape the wrath of God? Repentance towards God, faith alone towards Jesus, and a diligent use of the outward means of grace. Do y'all understand that? At least you understand what the words say. What a means of grace is, is a mysterious thing. How does God use the preaching to confer power to someone? We use words like means of grace to help us make sense of it. Augustine is the one that started that. But grace is not a liquid that flows through conduits. Like we just think of it that way to help us. We don't exactly know how it works. We just know that God says the, the preaching of the word of God is powerful and that it will not come back void. And so we just do it. All right. I don't believe they have, I don't believe they should expect to escape the wrath of God unless they repent, for sure. I, I, that's, that's just the, the deduction. You, if you are going to be sanctified, you need what God uses to sanctify people. The Holy Spirit through the ordinary and outward means that he provides primarily to the church. That's right. Can someone be saved outside the church? Yes, there's some saved people outside the church. But ordinarily and typically, they need to join a church if they're going to grow and be sanctified, for sure. Yeah. What's the difference between yeah, Brother Henry? They would be all gathered up. There's going to be one big church. And we're all going to be worshiping God. That's, I don't seek, seek out what God inspired people to do. Yeah. Gather. You're going to be hanging with us all eternity. You might as well get a jump start on it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And there, because there's something bad going on. Um, Blake, you had a question? Yeah, what's the difference between preaching and uh, someone like a TED Talk, uh, getting up and just doing a motivational speaking? Yeah, preaching is only based on the Word of God, right? A preacher has to be very careful to distinguish between his opinions and the Word of God. In fact, when Paul says, I didn't come to you with the wisdom of this world, what he means is, I didn't come to you um, with the philosophies of the Greeks. I didn't come to you with the popular um, uh, lessons of the day along with eloquent rhetoric. I came on the Bible. This is what the Bible says. And you might sometimes say, I'm still working through this and I think it says this, right? But this is what the Bible says. You only have authority if you have the Bible. And any preacher who is not uh, basing his authority on the Bible, you should reject and you should not listen to them at all. That's why preachers want to do their best to show you from Scripture what they're saying. See what I'm saying? Um, But a preacher who uh, does TED Talks, the main distinction is that a TED Talk is not based on the, the ultimate source of truth, which is the Bible. It's based on experience, or tradition, or false philosophies. Uh, TED Talks are the preachers of the world. They're the preachers of the secular world. And it's a different religion, most certainly. They are, mim- they are mimicking and modeling uh, what, God is, what God established, for sure. 
Good question. Yes. So when we come on Sunday mornings, the Christian life class, kind of for clarification for me, the Christian life class is teaching. teaching. Notice the difference here. That's right. Now, we're going to get to this distinction in later classes, but real quick, and this is really um, important and interesting. The word preacher is used three times in the New Testament, never referring to Christians in general, but referring to particular people that have a particular office, right? But, but preaching itself, the act of preaching, that word is, is mentioned quite a few times in Scripture. So we see people preaching. We see preachers preaching. The word preacher, as in the office, is only listed three times. But the act of preaching by those is listed a bunch of times. So Stephen was preaching. Philip was preaching. When Jesus stood up in the, in the, um, the uh, synagogue in Nazareth, he was preaching. So that's what, that's what they're doing, preaching. I lost my train of thought. Okay, yeah, okay, I got it. That, I, I back on it. When Jesus preached, that act of preaching, the scribes and the Pharisees responded saying, he, what do y'all remember? He preaches as one with authority and not as the scribes and Pharisees. And that helps us to see the distinction between preaching and teaching. Preaching is an act that is done authoritatively, thus saith the Lord, like it or lump it, right? Um, not, to be a, not that the preacher needs to be a jerk about it and slam people, but he, is, he's, he has a special office and on the Lord's day he is preaching um, the pulpit sort of was always like a symbol of that authority, and, uh, and, and that's become less of a, a symbol today. But he is preaching as one with authority, thus saith the word of the Lord, all right? Teaching, though, is like this. We're asking questions. We're working through things. I'm showing stuff. You know, I, I, there's, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not the same. It's not authoritative, right? And, uh, and so I think that's a clear distinction. And um, so, good. Yes? Yes, it is in, in Greek literature, the word preacher was a herald. It was a, it was a word that the New Testament writers used from common Greek to communicate what God was saying. Though you never want to go to the Greek, from the Greek mind to what the Bible means. That's a, that is a mistake that a lot of people do. It's a huge mistake. We don't, go to, we don't figure out what Paul means by looking up how the word is used by the Greeks, right? But he does borrow Greek words. He makes up new words in fact, um, from Greek to express new things. I mean, this is, a new re- this is a religion going into a pagan world, trying to use a pagan language that doesn't have biblical concepts. They don't have Hebrew concepts. So he's using words like lagos and malakoi and uh, caruso. He's trying to use some words that they have to communicate um, a Hebrew worldview in the gospel. And so that's one of those. A herald, it was a, a king would send a, a, an ambassador, a, a herald, who had to deliver a message. Um, and, but there's a big difference between the preachers uh, that God sends and the preachers that the Greek gods and their kings would send. And that one, the preachers that the Greeks would send, the kings would send, they had the power of the God and they were exalted and honored everywhere they went. Everywhere they went, they were in, in welcomed in as though they were the king himself. But in the New Testament, the preacher is always hated and killed. So that's the big difference because <laughs> God's sending his people not to, he's sending out his people to his enemies because it's good news. You know what I mean? Um, he's, sending, he's advancing his kingdom. He's not just sending his messengers within the walls of his kingdom. So that's a big difference. 
It's it, the, one of the greatest analogies, I think, is with Jacob in the, in the book of Genesis. You will remember Jacob preached the gospel to his wives, convinced them to leave slavery and exodus into the promised land. And as they're going into the promised land, he gets a message that uh, the promised land's got some enemies in it. Esau, he's coming for me. You remember, and so he's going into the promised land. He has his whole family and all his wives and all that God has promised, and they're crossing through the river into the promised land. It's an exodus scene. Um, but then there's an enemy there, and so what does he do? He sends out heralds. He sends out angels, messengers, to go out before him with gifts, and he's bringing them to his enemies as he's marching through. I just think that I don't know for certain. Just when I read that, it really reminds me of what's happening, right? <laughs> Because there's no New Testament commentator that says this is a one-for-one parallel. But it's the word messenger. He's sending them out, and he's bringing gifts of grace that he just told God, I didn't deserve. You, give this, you gave this all to me by grace. And he's trying to melt the heart of his enemies um, as he goes forth. And he sends them out in waves. And I think that's, that's what God's preachers are doing um, out in the world. So, amen. All right, I hope that's helpful. I'll see you all next week. Y'all have a good Lord's Day.